our ability to pinpoint and pick what is it that I am really passionate about. Yeah. We actually don't spend a lot of time doing that. Yo, what's going on everybody? It's your boy Tito and welcome to another episode of Maintain the Design. Today, we have a man with vast experience in the banking and financial services sector and a current executive at Liberty Group in charge of omni-channel client engagement and sales. Mongani Kulu, how are you bro? Good on you bro. Ah, I'm alright. I'm alright. Uh, for the listeners, actually, that probably don't know, Bongani is actually my gym partner <laughs> <laughs> as well for the past two and a half years. So yeah. how's the the fitness journey going hey, as the year comes to a close. Hey, you know what? Um, I think lockdown period was a bit rough. Mm. So I've slacked a bit. Yeah. Uh, only recently I've just come back and just had a bit of hot cardio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, weights I've sort of put aside a bit, you know, so it's like, you know, yeah. fix the cardio, fix the eating. Mm, you know, mm. yeah. So COVID and lockdown has been a bit hard on me. Yeah, and I think <laughs> on everyone because I don't know, I, I remember mentioning to you that I did this program. Yeah. Uh, it's called 75 hard so it's more than like a body transformation program it's kind of like a a a changing of habit program Mm. you know and it's like the most simple tasks but it's so difficult at the same time doing those small little tasks repetitively yeah so yeah i failed twice now (laughs) i think i reached 46 days or something and then i failed so i didn't have the energy to start over again so i've just decided that uh, january I'll, I'll I'll see what I do with that. No, we must do it together. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Nah, nah. You know, January. like yeah. There's there's always inspiration and sort of uplifting when you do things as a group. You yeah, know? So yeah, yeah. You do it alone. You you go a certain yeah, no, nah, a, a certain level. I think when you yeah. when you have an accountability partner, it kind it. of like that's it. Um, it gives you that extra push yeah. to get things done. Yeah. You know. No, I mean yeah. So yeah, bro. Um. <clears throat> For me personally, like I've always had this, I don't know whether to call it respect, but I've always had an interest in people that are, that have a passion for numbers, mm. right? Because growing up, I never really had a positive relationship with <laughs> numbers, <laughs> mathematics, none of that, you know? So when I see people that are actually um, successful and doing well in that, in that um, type of career, I'm always interested to know what inspired them to go, you mm. know, or to, to take that route. Um, so, yeah, you've told me many stories about uh, where you come from, how mm. your journey started. But for the listeners, can you just explain where your passion comes from to yeah. pursue this career and where your journey started? Yeah. So, interestingly, um, I was born in the East Rand. Yeah. Uh, in Sakani. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved to Kahiso. Yeah. Um, I was very young, like late 80s. Yeah. Uh, that's when we moved to Cajeso, and uh, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, strange enough, um, preschool, my grandfather taught me how to do the two times table. Yeah. So I could do the two times table to 2056. Yeah. So like two times two is four, four times four is 16. Like I could do it to 2056 yeah. before I even got to grade one. Mm-hmm. So I would say somehow he taught me the the thinking around numbers and being comfortable with numbers. Yeah. And in school, I hated every subject that had to do with words. 
yeah. loved everything that had to do with, with numbers. <laughs> so math naturally came to me, you know, um, liked accounting, um, yeah. I did bio, I uh, did ad maths, you know, so th- th- that was also interesting. But I hated the the theoretical side because, I mean, I was yeah. like, you read and you read and you read. But with everything with numbers, you know, it's, it's a bit practical. Yeah. So post high school, I uh, decided to go study actual science. Yeah. Uh, I'm certain my mother till this day has no idea what actual <laughs> science is. I think like, a lot of people don't. <laughs> like I have tried to explain it as many times as possible. Yeah. Uh, I think now that I'm working, she understands that I work in banking mm-hmm. and that's all I do, you know. So, yeah. um, so I, I did actual science at the University of Pretoria. <clears throat> a lot of math, a lot of statistics, a lot of financial engineering. I actually quite enjoyed what I was studying. Yeah. Um, and then the, in my honors, I decided to do mathematical statistics as a, as a major. Yeah. Finished that and then started lecturing, strange enough. You know, mm-hmm. So I lectured mathematics and I lectured statistics at the University of Pretoria. Um, yeah. the, journey, the journey to get me to qualify is another journey. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of struggle. It, it, I think it's a lot of black young children in South Africa go yeah. through that. You know, so funds run out. Uh, you have to hustle, you know, you, you're looking for scholarships and you yeah. go you go and speak to faculty and you do all of those things. So I went that whole entire route, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and by the time when I finished, um, one of the things that I was very clear on is I don't want my career to be a typical actuarial career, you know. Yeah. So if you speak to a lot of actuaries, one of the things that they'll tell you is they work in, they work in insurance yeah. or they work in financial services or in banking. But all they're doing is, is building financial models. Yeah. So from the beginning, I was clear, you know, so I don't mind doing financial models. So my technical background starting out was exactly that, you know, yeah, so yeah. started at FMB um, doing consumer credit scoring. I was doing a lot of financial models. I was doing capital modeling at the time. But something in me throughout all of this was there is more that you could do with your skills. Yeah. You know, so... You, you, you've got, let's say, above average, you know, EQ skills, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're, a bit, you're a bit personable, you know, people like you, yeah. uh, you present well and all of those things. So, you know, it's, I said, that's not a typical strength of someone who's, who's a numbers person. Mm. You know, numbers people, we like staying behind and we don't want to be seen yeah. and we just churn stuff out that people use, you know. So, <clears throat> post that. Um, left F&B, joined Standard Bank and Global Markets. Yeah. And it was literally at the time of the global financial crisis. Oh, crazy. So I still remember month two at Standard Bank CIB, mm. our birth stands had gone down. Yeah. Uh, that filed for bankruptcy. Markets were going crazy. And I'm in market risk at the time. Mm. And our job is literally to help the front office quantify the amount of risk in their trading positions. You know, yeah. So yeah. you're running around doing all of that. And it's long and it's technical. There's models. There's all of those things. Yeah. And you have to be meticulous. Later on that year, I mean, Lehman Brothers also went down. Mm. Uh, I think people who are very interested in, uh, in financial markets and what happened. I mean, there's movies yeah, uh, yeah, about uh, how Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, you know. So at the time, there was quite a lot of work that I had to do, not only within Standard Bank, but also understanding a lot of that. Um, yeah. Then left, um, went back into the first rent stable, 
which is where FMB is, and I was the chief actuarial audit manager at the time. Yeah. My job literally was model risk uh, validation, figuring out what the clever people in RMB, FMB, and West Bank are doing, mm-hmm. and sort of building controls that will govern that. Um, then that was actually my last technical role yeah. in the numbers world, you know. And at that point, I remember a friend of mine uh, basically said, "Oh yeah, you know the uh, the CEO for FMB." is looking for a executive assistant. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, so there's there's a lot of titles for that, you know, executive mm-hmm. assistant, chief of staff, professional assistant. Basically, he was looking for someone to run his office. Yeah. Uh, on the technical side, not 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 as the PA, but yeah. on the technical side, you know, strategy, delivery, run board packs, deal with board members, deal with stakeholders, do literally be the executive in his office. Yeah. Um, put up my hand, uh, went through the process, and uh, yeah, I was hired to be Mark Yodan's uh, executive assistant when he was FMB CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that role for two years. Uh, learned a lot about what to do, but also learned a lot through observation about what not to do. Yeah. Um, also, I think for me, the benefit there was, geez, I was young. Like I was in my mid-late 20s. Yeah surrounded by everyone who had probably 20, 30 years of, of, of banking experience and I'm still young, green and yeah. I've got all these ideas, you know. So what I appreciate is Michael used to listen a lot and he used to he used to be a proper mentor, you know. He used to say, innovate, uh, be willing to learn, be teachable, yeah. uh, but also at the same time be meticulous in what you're doing, you know, show up, you know. Yeah. So this whole thing about me showing up every day Yes, I grew up with it, but you know, being told by a group CEO of yeah. FMB that you need to show up every day because you never know what day someone is looking at what you're doing and yeah. they'll take inspiration from what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so after that, um, I left and went to Botswana for a couple of years as an expatriate. Uh, interestingly, when I left, I went to go run the retail business, the retail bank mm-hmm. business. And I was, I think I just turned 29 or something like that. And I landed in Botswana as, as probably the youngest group executive for one of the big banks in Botswana. Mm-hmm. And FMB was the big bank there, you know. Yeah. So spent about four years there doing a lot of work, uh, set, up, set up customer services, set up the wealth businesses, did a lot of work around strategy and repositioning of the business. At the end of it, um, I was at a point where you were young, you've just spent a lot of time doing a lot of very complex roles. Mm. And I think my insecurities because of where I come from, from a technical background, was I need a technical framework that will help me be a better executive in the future. So decided to go do my MBA. Um, So I was clear I don't want to do an MBA locally. Mm. Um, And I think the process took me about a year, you know, to eliminate and all of those. Um, and then I was, and the choices were either go to the US or go to Europe, yeah. you know, and sort of looked at the pros and cons of both. Um, we went with Europe because for me at the time, I didn't want to do a two year full time MBA, mm. which is what the US programs are. So if you go to Watson and you go to Harvard, it's two year programs, you know. So I was clear I don't want to do a two year program. I want to do a one year full time program. That way I'm not out of the system for too long, yeah. such that when you come back, you struggle. You know, with, mm-hmm. uh, with with reengaging with the business, so yeah. came back into Southern. Um, so I went into I went to Spain. So I went to IE. 
Um, at the time, it was the number one business school in Europe. Yeah. Um, I think it was number four or five globally behind the likes of Wharton, Harvard, um, I think not Oxford. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of the... So it, it's basically one of the best business schools in, in the world. You know? yeah. So I went there, loved the program, you know, so entrepreneurship was what they pushed. Um, innovation was what they pushed. But interestingly, and especially especially this year with the likes of COVID and everything else, almost everything was digitally digital engagements. Yeah. You know, so we learned how to lead multiple groups without seeing people for personally. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so how, how you engage with someone who's in China, who's in the US, who's in South Africa, who's in Brazil, and who's in the UAE. Yeah. And how you find how you find consensus and make sure that you, you, you not only deliver on the tasks, but also you build relationships along the way. You know, yeah, so yeah. so this whole work from home concept for me was interesting when people were complaining, but I'm like, actually half my MBA was exactly that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so whenever I'd had to come home and continue with the with with, with the teachings, it was exactly what was happening you know so yeah. completed my um my my my, my executive mba then came back into the country joined absa mm -hmm. um also another very interesting um sort of uh ta um you can say appointment yeah uh, i joined as the head of the absa wealth family office mm -hmm. and family offices typically are ultra high net worth key client internationally wealthy families uh, we're talking about centi and centi millionaires and billionaires, mm -hmm. you know. So, it's 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 not it's not the retail wealth, yeah, you know, but it is the upper echelon, you know. So, and a lot of it is very complex solutioning. It's very complex relationships. I mean, yeah. so if you've got a family that is worth north of ten billion rands, you know, yeah. let's say, or or their dollar billionaire family. The structures that they set up are very complex to govern the relationship with money, yeah. you know. And and I learned a lot of a lot of lessons personally, you know, mm. about how to run my financial affairs, you know, what decisions to make and what decisions not to make. And 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 also, I think that that role for me anchored a relationship with money. Yeah, you know, because growing up, you know, you, you we are taught to spend. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it taught me a different side to my relationship with money, you know. Yeah. It's not only about investing, but also it's about impact investing. You know, mm -hmm. it is what is it that you're doing today that will not only benefit you, but will benefit everyone around you and yeah. the community in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of what we're doing was very long term. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, through a, through a whole lot of uh, changes at APSA, um, I did client engagement. I did uh, marketing. Yeah. Which was very interesting for me, you know, so as an as an actuary, I ended up in marketing, you know, mm -hmm. so I did that. And then I think the last role I did at Absa before I left, I was the head of strategy, customer value propositions and business enablement. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then towards late last year, I started having conversations with uh, the Liberty Group Executive. Yeah. Um, I liked, honestly, I liked what they were presenting. Mm. You know, um, the ability to pivot the business to be a platform business um, and to be a business that's going to be relevant for the future. You know, how, yeah, yeah. How, how then do you set up a business to be a tech-enabled business and do that? You know, and I think for me, 
with my journey, it, it's always been that, you know. So it is how do you build businesses where customers are comfortable to engage with you with multiple channels? Yeah. Not only yeah. face-to-face, but also internet, you know, the app. Um, chatbots and all of those things, yeah. So, yeah. so that's where I am. I just recently joined Liberty about a month ago. Yeah. Um, I'm looking after the client engagement within the omni channel, so mm-hmm. across all channels and uh, within the what we call the retail affluent sector. You know, yeah. so there's quite a lot of work that we need to do around that. You know, client centricity, building the right sort of setup. You know, between digital and, phys- and physical, yeah. but also enabled by the advisor on the other side, because we realize the value that good advice will have in that, but also running the sales part of it. You know, at the yeah, end of the day, yeah. it's it's about production, it's about money. You know, yeah. so so yeah, so it's it's going it's going to be a very interesting challenge. Um, I think my my first three weeks have been very interesting. You know, yeah, yeah. good bunch of people, uh, good culture, feels good. Uh, complex role, you know, and mm. there's quite a lot that needs to be done in a very fast-pacing role, you know, yeah. so I'm looking forward to it. Nah, that's awesome. That's awesome and very <clears throat> interesting. And you you touched on innovation yeah. when you were speaking about yeah. um, your, your MBA, yes. you know, and the things that they touched on in the course. Um, and one thing that, that, I, can, that I can take from, from your experiences and your journey is that there are two underlying things, consistency and hard work. Yeah. Um, do you think with the, the advancement of technology, the easy accessibility to things and how innovation is developing so rapidly, do you think that that has taken away an aspect of hard work and consistency hmm. in terms of the, the current generation? Yeah. So interestingly for me, and I think it's pleasing when I see social innovation starting to creep in now. Yeah. You know, so the, 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 there was a point where Everyone was innovating. So if, okay, l- let me go back one or two steps. So if you know the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you yeah. know, so basically it's that pyramid that basically at the most basic of needs, you know, it's shelter, food, water, and then you, you your needs go up and up and up once those things are met. Yeah. There was a point where for me, and I think probably it was early 2010s around that period, Mm. where everyone was innovating for behavior that was outside of the basic needs, you know. So Mm. your Facebooks, your Instagrams, and everything else that was happening, you know. So even in South Africa, Mixit and the likes, we we were going that route, you know. So we're we're solving for problems that were outside of what basically we had to do. Yeah. Um, That gave me a a bit of angst. At the time, you know, because mm. I was saying, as a young black man growing up in a township, having seen people really struggle, yeah, we are not solving shelter problems, you know, mm. we are not solving hunger problems, you know, and you keep hearing about more and more families falling below the bread, the bread line. Yeah, yeah, it's a very complex solution that you have to do around the economy, but there's also some grassroots things that uh, that need to be solved. Yeah, interestingly for me, what I'm seeing now is, I think with the millennial generation, you know, yeah. so Generation Z, millennials, mm. there is more of a social responsibility and a social movement to solve those things. Yeah. But the, complex, the complexity is they will be inheriting structures, solutions, 
that that were created by the previous generation. Yeah. You know, so what you hear now is, for example, so when, when I was still in banking, a lot of the younger customers, you know, the youth, the young adults, they would always want to find out what is it that you're doing for the community before I can even bank for you. Yeah. So that's the kind of relationship where they were saying, yeah, it's fine. Like solutions are solutions. Bank is a bank is a bank. You know? yeah. But I want to hear what is it that you are doing for the, for the country, for the community that will leave it in a much better state. Yeah. So what I'm finding is the younger generation are driven by that level of consciousness you know, mm-hmm. to then say, if I'm going to engage either in telecoms, in banking and whatever, this is what you're going to do. So that for me, it is, I think, I, I think it's pleasing. Yeah. It, it's just a matter of how do we make sure that we continue to have more of a approach that will make sure that we come out with the right solutions. Yeah. It's difficult. You know, mm-hmm. it's difficult when, when, when you're an insurance company that was not built around a social responsibility yeah. construct, yeah. you know, where it was about profits and all of those things. But now what I'm seeing is, I mean, with us at Liberty, you know, one, one of the things, one of the pillars that we have in our strategy is around the, 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 the social responsibility goals, you know. Yeah. What is it that we're doing for the community, you know, and there's quite a lot of things that will turn out. But that also has a positive impact in how you then start building uh, products and solutions. Yeah. Because now you're no longer building products in GE. Yeah, you're yeah. building products that will help clients. Mm. Same thing with, let's say, if you go to petrochemicals. Yeah. More and more, you're hearing the likes of your shells, your BPs, and those guys basically saying, we, we want to go into solar. We want to find clean energy. We want to yeah. do all of those things. And, and they want to dabble in those spaces and figure out how to find the right balance. Yeah. And I think for me, that movement will ultimately shift. And let's hope that in 100 years' time, when we're probably all gone, the world is in a much better state because yeah. of the decisions that we're making. Mm-hmm. We are most probably in the, the... We are part of the generation that... The, the amount of change is accelerated like you won't believe. Yeah. We have libraries of information on our phones. You know, so what you then find is we typically consume more information than probably the professors of the 1900s. Yeah. In a day. You know, so mm-hmm. if, if you want to Google a topic, you'll get it like this and you can read it for an hour Whereas a hundred years ago, that person probably had to take two years just to get themselves to that level of information. Yeah. So I think our generation and the generations to come, the speed of innovation is going to literally be very fast. Yeah. Now it's going to be as Bongani, as Tato, you know, how am I going to engage that? Am mm-hmm. I going to be a person that says I am against technological advancement? Yeah. Or I am a person that says I will engage with it with the technology, and I will try and find a solution very fast because we're trying to solve a solution. You know. Yeah. So I think for me, a lot of things will happen. Uh, a lot of sectors are going to be disrupted. Yeah. Um, and some of them actually do need to be disrupted, mm-hmm. and it is up to us to not be scared. You know, and, yeah. and that, that, that's, that's the one thing I always tell my mentees: is don't be scared of your knowledge base. Don't be scared of what you know. Hmm. You are brought on this earth to leave it in a much better state. 
if you don't play your part, you have, you have done a disservice to the yeah. world. Yeah. 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 I agree with you when you say um, finding the solutions yeah. is, is, is very complicated. And I've, during lockdown, actually, I was watching these uh, marshmallow tested parents were doing with their, yes. their kids, which was actually something that was invented in the 1960s mm -hmm. at Stanford. And in the context of the marshmallow test, um, in terms of not consuming something now to get more later mm. or, or get something that's more beneficial in the future, the, the previous generation, your baby boomers and, you know, the previous generations would say that millennials are failing mm. with regards to that. Mm. Do you think those are, are dangerous narratives, um, saying that millennials are lazy, approval-orientated? Are those narratives kind of dangerous considering that some people have actually grown up in this era and this is all they've known? Mm. Technology is all they've known. You mm. know, it's not like back in the days when you were a child and you'd go play outside with your friends. That was the norm. Mm. These days, children sit indoors, they consume information. You know, everything is just technologically orientated. Mm. So do you think those narratives are dangerous considering the fact that we're still kind of adapting to this mm. fast-paced technological um, innovation yeah. and advancement? So interesting for me, I always say generalizations are very, are very dangerous. Mm. You know, so mm. you, you, can't, you can't paint a whole entire generation when a whole entire race with one brush, you know, so there will always be nuances uh, to, 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 to generations, to communities, or to subsets of people. Yeah. And I think in South Africa, there's also the added complexity of our past, our political past, uh, where, where we've come from, you know, so our party played a, played a role. But interestingly, you know, so this conversation we've, I've always had with people. Yeah. I am, I'm literally a millennial, you mm. know, so, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, can, I call myself an old millennial. Yeah. You know, so I have millennial behaviors, but my training has gone with generation, I think it's generation X, mm -hmm. you know, so the previous generation. And one of the appreciation, appreciations I've had over time is understand where each generation is coming from you yeah. know so if you look at the baby boomers literally they were after the wars you know so the world yeah. war ii so there was the great depression there was rationing and all of those things and what it meant is they had to go do hard labor yeah. you know so and the hard labor meant they had to start from nothing and systematically build, 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 you know. So mm. that's why with that generation, what you found is someone could start their job at 18 and they could retire at 60, at 60 or 65 in the yeah. same company, in the same job, having done the same thing over that, mm. over that period. But when you look at the millennials, we are a choice generation, you yeah. know. So we've been brought up by generation X, Exes to actually choose what you want. Yeah. You know, yeah. so they were the bridge that ultimately said our children need to be empowered to actually go for what they want. Yeah. But I think I think even in that there is there is a responsibility that as millennials we need to uphold that says choice means I am taking myself forward. Yeah. I can't I can't be choosing things uh, because they make me feel good, but at the end of the day, they make me end up being stagnant. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. or I, I, I ultimately harm myself. Yeah. You know? So, so I think to your original question is, I think narratives are dangerous. I think there is an appreciation for each and every generation that we need to have. Um, I also like the saying that say that, that says you have to know where you come from in order for you to know where you're going. Yeah. You know, True. so understanding your struggles as a family, you know, so now I'll bring it back to me as Bongani, you know, right. um, I literally, I think my parents were the first, so a lower middle class yeah. in the hood yeah, sort of yeah, family, yeah. you know, but everyone else, like when, when, when you looked at my previous families is we're actually poor. Mm. We grew up poor. Mm. Even at home, we grew up poor. But I think in my teens, that's when my, my, my mom and dad's careers were sort of now sh- taking shape and we were like lower middle class, you know, but mm. lower middle class then said we had, ex- we had accessibility to what was multiracial education you know yeah. so we're the generation that were taken from township schools and we were put into in into the previously model c schools yeah and we had to learn how to engage with the world outside of what our parents are comfortable with mm-hmm. and we, we had to we also had to learn to have an appreciation of where they come from and and the education they received in the in the bantu education sort of system yeah what I'm seeing now is, I think for me, the most, the most interesting thing is how, as a millennial generation, when we choose, sometimes we are too selfish in our choices. Mm-hmm. And, and our choices sometimes are a bit erratic, where you sit with someone and you say to them, okay, cool, uh, you've been working for six years. And in the six years, you've had 12 jobs. Yeah. Where's the thread in those jobs? You know, mm. so I can't move from oh no, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a social media personality, oh no, I'm a graphic designer, oh no, I was doing events, I was doing that. Like there needs to be there needs to be a thread in what you're doing at the end of yeah. the day, you know. So I, I I'm all for people actually hopping and changing jobs and finding what is it that they want to do, you know. So rather generalize and then later on in life specialize so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm all for that but in everything that you're doing those life experiences should be adding to what ultimately you want to be yeah you know and 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 i think this is where it's difficult and this is where for baby boomers when they look at us they say we are irresponsible you know mm-hmm. we we don't know what to do because we've got more choices than they ever did yeah but in us having more choices, our ability to pinpoint and pick what is it that I am really passionate about. Yeah. We actually don't spend a lot of time doing that. You know, and 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 it's it's a difficult thing. I mean, trust me, like choosing what you going what you want to do for the next 20, 30 years is most probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And I think with regards to like the point of confusion. Yeah. I think it's a double-edged sword for previous generations and millennials as well. Um, I'm very old school, I think, when it comes to certain principles, Mm. you know, from the from the past. And when I look at things like social media, I feel like there are elements of um, like false narratives and unrealistic uh, views on your financial literacy Mm. and wealth creation. What would you say? are the unwritten rules 
of developing, actually developing your financial literacy and building your wealth, regardless of which era you come from or mm. what principles you believe in, whether they're current or from the past? Rule number one, there's no fast money. Mm. You will not have a hundred rand and make a thousand rand in a week or two. That for me says it's either a pyramid scam or there is something really wrong in, in that system. Yeah. <clears throat> I always say like wealth creation teaches you a lot about who you are. You know, so and wealth creation forces you to sort of look at yourself and ask questions like, do I have the right relationship with money? Mm. Do I have the right relationship with, with how I consume things? Do I have the right relationship with how I want to leave things post this? You know, and let's be honest, guys. I mean, we, we always hear about um, Forex, Forex scams. We always hear about pyramid scams. We always hear about these things. And I think because of the, of the period we're in, a lot of people are looking for fast money. Yeah. And the problem with fast money is you never really learn the principles of what it means to make your first hundred thousand. Yeah. What it means to make your to to make your first million. Cause those lessons are life lessons that force you to internalize and change who you are for the better of the world. Yeah. Where for me I think it starts breaking is your your Instagram live. You know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean Today I log on Instagram, it's filtered. A lot mm. of it is very, very much filtered. And it's only a part lens to what people want you to see. You know, you never get to see the hard work that, came, that went in for the last five years for someone to be driving a Ferrari. Yeah. You know, and you never get to see the sleepless nights the deadlines, the, mm. the, the rejections, the failures, the implosions and people sort of crashing and burning and then starting all over again. You never get to see that. Yeah. But what you see is the end result, mm. you know. And, and, and for me, that's the one thing I always, I always teach, um, you know, Sompo. And I always say to Sompo, it doesn't matter what you see out there. Yeah. What you're seeing is someone's hard work at the end of the process. Mm. You need to go on your own journey, define your own journey. You know, so if you say, I want to be a billionaire, yeah. look to what other billionaires have done. You know, go read their biographies, go figure out what, they, what they're doing, go hone a skill, yeah. you know, go hone a skill, go disrupt a sector, go be inquisitive, you know, and, and for me, what I find is the really successful people, whether financially or socially, are very inquisitive in nature, you know. Yeah. And and there's a very there's a there's an impatience and an uncomfortability around I walk into a situation, it's a mess, yeah, and I'm comfortable to leave it as a mess. You know, the people that ultimately become very successful, they actually want to leave the world in a much better state. Mm. You know, and and for me it is that work that needs to be done. There's no fast money. Mm. When it comes to your own fin your finances, is you need to be prudent. You know, I've also had to learn those lessons. You know, where you buy you buy a flashy car, and then all of a sudden you realize, I really did not need this flashy car at this point in time. Yeah. I could have waited and done something else, and then, and then, and then you sort of calibrate yourself as you go along. Mm. 
But it is the appreciation of those life lessons, you know, that says treat every cent with respect. Yeah. You know, so it's, 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 it's like one of the... It, it, so there's an African proverb, I think it says, once you have fetched your own water, you will appreciate every drop in that canister. Mm. For me, that is a deep life lesson. Because what it says is, I've worked hard for every cent in my bank account. Yeah. So I will not go out and go blow it in things that ultimately will make me feel uncomfortable the next day. Yeah. You know, so I will always I will always have a relationship of deep respect with the wealth that I'm creating. And then on the other land, there is a view that says I need to leave the world in a much better state, not only for me, but for those coming behind me. You know, so how then am I investing? Um, so I work when my bonus comes in, when my salary comes in, how do I reset my salary? You know, uh, we all have side hustles, you know, so how then do I ensure that my side hustle is basically taking over? You know, mm -hmm. I'm investing not only time, money and all of those things to actually get to where I want to. Yeah. So I think for me, it is that discipline. Mm. That sometimes we lose because, oh no, so and so who's a celebrity now all of a sudden has has bought a Bentiego, what is it, a Bentiego or whatever it's called, you know, yeah. and oh no, these people are going to Dubai, so I also need to go to Dubai, or these ones are going to Bora Bora, I need to go to Bora Bora, or someone just bought a certain brand of a watch, now I need to buy it. We are not all in the same life stage. Respect the life stage you are in. Be comfortable with who you are in your own skin. And learn the life lessons. Yeah, wealth creation in South Africa is still going to accelerate. Yes, we are. We are in a. We are in a crisis. But when when I look at South Africa and I say, what is it that needs to be done? There's still quite a huge amount of innovation that needs to come out. Yeah, I look at this generation, and I liken this generation to probably two generations ago in the U.S where the likes of your Bill Gates and your Steve Jobs came came up, you know. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is now, only now in South Africa, starting to become part of our DNA. Yeah. More and more young people are comfortable with, I'm not going to go work. Yeah. I'm going to be a, a, an, an entrepreneur. You know, so, and, and for me, yes, it's a harder road to travel, but that road requires some of us who are in corporate to then go mentor the people who are, who who are going in the entrepreneurial route, yeah. Because ultimately, it's the outside in thinking that will disrupt industries that have been stagnant for years, mm -hmm. industries that are comfortable, and that innovation and more wealth creation will come from the new entrepreneurs that are coming in. Yeah. You know. So, at the end of the day, I repeat, there's no fast money. Yeah. You can't put a thousand rand and get ten thousand in a week. Yeah. It's a scheme. Yeah. Someone can't come to you and say, oh, no, I can guarantee you 30% interest in one month. Yeah. It's a scheme. Mm -mm. You know, and we need to learn the value of hard work. And hard work is not necessarily the manual labor. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's the discipline, the consistency, uh, showing up every day. Yeah. You know, if you're an entrepreneur sitting at home and you're driving your business, show up every day. Yeah. You know, and, and, and make sure what you put out as your brand is quality. It's a superior, superior quality. Mm. 
and and there are people that I see on social media and their pages, and I'm like, this guaranteed, I can tell you in 10 years' time, this is going to be big. Yeah. Purely because the way that person thinks is they realize that I'm running a brand. Yeah. Um, I'm running a fully-fledged business, you know, and whatever I put out needs to be part of a coherent strategy or a coherent narrative yeah. that ultimately will take me to where I need to go in order for me to partner with big brands globally and all of those things. Same thing with whether you're starting a business like us. Yeah. Be consistent. Mm-hmm. Like, be consistent. Always be thinking about how you make it better. You know, yeah. so, you know yeah. a lot of people are trying to figure out how they marry car washes and, and everything else. It's like, let's be honest. If today I'm going to drive into a car wash and I get the best service and my car is the cleanest it's been in a very long time, yeah. chances are when, I, when it, needs, it, it needs its next, next wash, I'm going to go there. Yeah, yeah. But the moment when I've been there, let's say for two or three months and the, and the standard starts dropping, that's when I start shopping around. Yeah. You know, so for me it is be consistent but also realize that you are building for the future. Yeah. Rome was not built in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not going to wake up at 21 and be a billionaire at 22. Yeah. Not everyone, you know. So mm. probably there is going to be not point not 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 one percent of the population yeah. that might get to do that. Yeah. But everyone else has to build their wealth over time. Yeah. The lesson the lesson that you make with your first million. If you were to lose that million, trust me, it will take you significantly less time to make double that because you've learned all the lessons. You know what steps to avoid, what pitfalls to avoid, how to accelerate the wealth creation. Yeah. And, and for me, it's let's not skip those steps. Yeah. Let's learn at pace. And as we learn, let's accelerate the pace. Mm. And that's the same thing with money. Yeah. yeah. And um, earlier on, we spoke about like, how much information we actually have access to yeah. in, in this current era. And for a young person that would, that would like to maybe change their money habits for the better yeah. or improve their financial literacy, what would you say they need to do to navigate actually finding that information and finding the correct information? Because having a lot of information doesn't always mean that it's reliable. Yeah. And... Like I said, with, with social media as well, there's a lot of posturing. So who you actually get advice from as well, yeah. you know, is, 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 is actually a challenge because some people are not transparent with regards to how they possibly succeeded with regards to their finances and, and everything else. So how would you say a young person should actually discern what the correct information is and, and how should they actually navigate that? Mm. So, I mean... <laughs> I'm in, I'm in the world of investments, you know, so the one thing I'll always say is finding yourself a trusted uh, financial advisor is always a good thing, you know, so there's, always, there's also the narrative that says, how can I trust someone else to, 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 to take up, take up um, look after my money? Our relationship with money is emotional. Yeah. It's not objective. It's very subjective. You know, and having someone who is properly qualified, technically sound, um, reads a lot. They yeah. can help you with the first step of filtering. Reading a lot also helps. You know, but I think if you if if you if you read and you get information over time, you also hone the skills to realize 
what is it that is factual what is it that is not yeah you know um yeah. so i am because i mean i mean i'm in investments and in banking you know uh, i read quite a lot of books you know i read a lot of biographies by people so i prefer the reading biographies yeah um it, i always say it's it's a it's a it's a glimpse into someone's life mm-hmm. you know and their words telling you the pitfalls of what they've had to do and there's a lot of there's a lot of books by very wealthy people where they take you through the journey of how they made their money and how they've done that but i think for me the one thing that we always have to do is if you're curious and you want to make money um understand how financial markets are working you know you can watch tv there's your cnbc's bloomberg and business day tv that you can sort of understand i know when people watch that stuff they're like she's all i see is numbers and all i see is graphs and yeah. they talk very fast and all of those things um so there's that uh you, you can actually go study you know and and that's the beauty now of the times that we live in and yeah. for example now with uh with the pandemic is there's a lot of universities offering online courses on almost everything mm-hmm. you know so you could pick up a course do it online for three for three months and basically get the fun the fundamentals to financial management you could do that yeah. but i still say having a trusted advisor and someone to actually speak to who will guide you through how do i set up the right financial structure how do i cover myself to make sure that as my money is growing it's it's actually growing in the right manner you know and i'm making the right investments and i am I'm saving or I'm building for life stages. Yeah. That for me is what I find works. Mm-hmm. I can't be a engineer and think because I'm an engineer I'm going to be a financial guru. Yeah. I build bridges very well. But I'm probably terrible with my relationship with money. Yeah. That's why getting a third person or a second person to independently look at what you are doing and how you how your relationship with money is is actually beneficial yeah because yeah. a lot of people and a lot of people in the narratives now are no but how can i trust someone who's not a millionaire you know i will not listen to someone who's not a millionaire mm-hmm. no one is born a millionaire yeah but people learn the fundamentals and they go learn the technical skills to help themselves and other people to be millionaires mm. yeah And you know um currently at the moment we're seeing um a gap between the amount of people that are actually going to or having a tertiary education mm. and finding employment afterwards mm. there aren't enough jobs at the moment mm. to hire the amount of graduates that are coming out of um universities right now and i think it goes back to to what you said about us adopting an entrepreneurial culture in south africa and i think ultimately going forward in the future that's what's going to actually help alleviate this problem mm-hmm. um however there are a lot of people that say that um as a society in south africa we have a huge reliance on government to solve all of our problems mm-hmm. um i would say it's unfair to say that about entrepreneurship because like you said it is fairly new and they are going to have to do something to support it in order for it mm-hmm. to grow um But what do you think we need to do going forward to kind of be self-reliant and take accountability for ourselves especially if we want entrepreneurship to grow locally? 
just start today. Mm. That's it. Like, you know, I always, so I think for me, the one thing that semi-disappoints semi me about where we are and as a country is it's disheartening when you're a graduate and you've worked hard for three, four years to get your degree and then the job sector is where it is. Yeah. And the reality of it is the, the number of new jobs created is not going to accelerate to the pace that it will swallow up all the unemployed. Yeah. The unemployed know what it is that as a country we need to be doing. Yeah. And you're right. The government has to support in terms of programs, in terms of how do I nurture this entrepreneurial culture. And I think in the past couple of years, there's been a couple of things that have been, have been done, you know. So there's a ministry for small businesses, you know. So that is there. Uh, but there's there's also venture capital firms that are setting themselves up to try and assist with early stage investments. And then, the, and then there's like your black industrialists sort of programs that have come through from Treasury and the likes of the PIC and all of those things. I think for me, you're right, Tato. It's the... As young people, we can see the technological advancements that's happening. Yeah. A lot of the sectors that traditionally in South Africa exist are still monologue. They're not digital. Yeah. It is how then do we innovate to help the monologue economy move to a digital economy? Yeah. What I'm finding is part of the reason why that gap exists is we were taught go to school, go mm. work, and do ABC. Yeah, and a lot of it is we believe that we have to spend twenty years in the monologue economy in order for us to go out and go do whatever. Yeah, part of me still believes yes, you need to have spent some time in the ecosystem to fully understand its advantages and its pitfalls. Yeah. So that I still believe in, you know, to then say, I can't go and say I'm going to change banking for the future if I don't understand the history of banking and where banking is. Yeah. But also the one thing that I also take as I take stock of is the fact that probably it's going to take someone who is much further ahead of me when it comes to innovate, innovative thinking. Yeah. That they will then say, I'm not bogged down but the legacies of bank, of banking and how banking structures have worked. Yeah. And I will come up with something so disruptive that it will have, it will force banking to change the incremental innovation and go to first principles and first principles design and innovation and come up with something new. Yeah. And that for me is, I think this is where it is. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the, I think in South Africa, the first one is we need to, we need to transform our economy. And in transforming our economy, some jobs will be created. New jobs will be created. Yeah. So that's the first one. The second one is, over time, the respect in what I call trade, trade vocations has been lost. Mm, you know, mm, mm. Our builders, plumbers, electricians, our boiler makers. Actually, people look down on those people. Yeah. You know, so I'd rather go I'd rather go study accounting and be an actuary than be a electrician. Yeah. But the one thing that we realize is we'll always need a builder. Yeah. Yeah. 
whether it's a builder in the traditional sense or it's a builder in new forms of technology in prefab, we'll always need a builder. And, 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 and I think for me, it is that element as well to then say, how then do we ensure that the respect of those trades is brought back to the fore such that a lot of the graduates who are not naturally inclined to go to university and do whatever, Hmm. Or someone who basically is passionate about building is not forced to go study civil engineering. Yeah. But they're not interested interested in the civil side of the engineering. But hmm. all they just want to do is to be a builder. You know, so you yeah. don't have to go build a Bugatti because you want a you because you you you, you want a golf seven. Yeah. You, you see, so I think for me, there is that work that we need to do, and a lot of it is psychological. You know? yeah. yeah. It starts with the narrative that we feed our kids, mm. you know, to then say, go, go do what you're passionate about. You know, I mean, if I, if I were to pull and pull here today, I think I'm also guilty of it. Yeah. It's every time when she has a conversation with me is I want to be a doctor. I want to be an accountant. Yeah. I have not tapped into, I can see you like the creative arts. Yeah. How then do I, give you more exposure into the creative arts, you know? Mm. So I think ultimately that's the, that's the job that we all need to do. How we solve it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. All of us have to step up. We have to get out of our comfort zone. Uh, what I'm also liking now is with uh, the social economy, the, so, the social media economy, is you're actually seeing... Someone who's gone and studied engineering or they're an accountant or they're a psychologist and they actually say, you know what, I am passionate about this. I'm going to make hair, hair care products because I'm passionate about hair. Yeah. That for me, I think that's what you need. Yeah. You know, so you need graduates not, not to be stuck in, I can't get a job. Yeah. But to then say, okay, there are many there are many problems and there are many things to be solved for. Yeah. What role can I play in solving mm-hmm. for the world? Mm-hmm. And, and just to close off, I just want to touch a little bit mm. on um, investment. Mm. Um, for, for, for young people who want to invest, um, what are the initial things that they need to consider and how important is uh, distinguishing between high net worth investors mm. And just a regular person who actually possesses capital when they want to invest. How important is that understanding how to differentiate between the two? Yeah. So the one thing I'll say is goals-based investing is also actually very good when you're starting. You know, Mm -hmm. so what is it that you're investing for? Are you investing for your first car? Are you investing for your first house? Are you investing because you want to go study further? Are you investing for seed capital? You know, so... Have a goal in mind as to why you you want to invest. So that's the first one. Yeah. The second one is understand your risk appetite. Mm. And, and and this is way before you even get to financial literacy. Understand your risk appetite, you know. Uh, are you a person who is high risk in nature in terms of their financial their, their financial outcomes? You know, so are you comfortable going into equities? Um where there's a lot of volatility or you're saying, actually, I don't want any of that. I'll just mm. go with a simple bank instrument, you know. So yeah. understand all of those things. And this is where having a technical partner will help you with that. you know. Yeah. So Because yeah. everyone assumes if you are young, 
you are very high risk, you know. So, mm, mm. so, so you you've got a very high risk tolerance. Yeah. But we're not the same, you know. So you might find someone who's twenty five, but actually they've got a very low risk tolerance, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. And if you're gonna take their money and you take them into financial markets, and there is so much volatility, one day it's there, one day it's there. That person is almost gonna have a heart attack. Yeah. You know, and and how they they relate within with their investment journey might be tainted with that, you know. Yeah. The third thing I would then say, a balanced portfolio is always a very good thing, you know, mm. and it's a balanced portfolio across multiple asset classes, you know, so is it physical property, is it property stocks, you know, uh, is it bonds, is it uh, alternative assets, is it cash, is it equities, you know, so I, I find, and this, this is now where we start moving up the pyramid, you know, mm. so... Uh, Having a balanced portfolio helps you because s- certain sectors behave a certain a, a, a certain way in certain market conditions. You know, mm. so the one year, the one year fixed income might be very, might be doing very well, but also on the other side, equities is going through the most. Yeah, you know, so that balance, having a balanced portfolio, helps you grow your rela- your your wealth over time responsibly. Yeah, I think with with this is you know. So in South Africa, the the definition of high net worth is basically we look at uh, dollar millionaires, mm. you know. So where we say someone's net investable assets. So this is once you've taken out the value of your residential property, what is it that you've got, you know, in cash and property in investments. So that's how we would define a person as high net worth. Um, in the country, I think we've got probably approximately 40,000 high net worth individuals in yeah. the country. And then what what is what we see is what we call retail affluent. You know, so the affluent economy and in that affluent economy you might then say it's your I would say the middle market, yeah. you know, so your, your your middle class will sit there. A lot of them are people who are employed. Mm. A lot of them are entrepreneurs who are starting out, you know, so they're not dollar millionaires, but they're building their wealth towards that, you know. And yeah. and and for me, those those definitions are one thing. You yeah. Know? And they could they could think psychologically to know that, but ultimately for me there are lessons that we all need to learn yeah. about about our relationship with money. You know, yeah. so start today, start with a goal in mind. And then build on those goals. Yeah, you know. So I can't say today, oh no, my goal is to be a billionaire. It's too, mm. it's too broad of a, of, of 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 a goal to be a billionaire. It's a great, mm. it's a great vision to have. Mm-hmm. But I now then say, okay, my vision is I want my net worth by the age of eighty yeah. or fifty mm-hmm. to be ten billion dollars. Yeah. But what is it that is my short term goal? Yeah. You know, so what, what is it that I need to look at? You know, so, okay, I'm starting out. I've just graduated. I've got my first job. Okay, what is it that I need to do? I'm yeah. probably going to be a first-time home buyer, but I don't have the deposit to go buy the house. Let me save for that deposit. Yeah. You know, oh, no, I want to I want to do this. I want to do this. You know, I want to travel. I want to, you yeah. know. So I find having those goals and then having that approach that is very goals-based yeah. And, 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 and specific outcomes driven helps you 
with the accountability as well as to am I meeting those goals. Mm-hmm. So if I know that I've said to myself, Bongani, I want to I want to buy my first house in three years' time. And you do your research and now your first house says, Okay, cool, I need to have hundred and fifty or twenty thousand or two hundred thousand yeah. as a deposit. I need to save for it. You know, mm-hmm. keep myself accountable to saving towards that goal because that goal will then take me to my first step yeah. as to what I need to do and keep building and keep building and keep building on that. You know? yeah. So so I think ultimately how how we should be thinking about invest about investing is exactly that. Yeah. You invest for goals and those goals they keep building and building and building. It's like a house. Yeah. You know, your goals are your bricks. And you keep stacking them up yeah, yeah. over time. And you keep stacking, 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 stacking to the point where at the end of the day, it becomes a fully fledged house. Yeah. 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 Bongani, thank you so much for, for your time today. Um, I mean, we have these conversations all the time. Yeah. And they're always insightful for me personally. So, you know, it's, 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 it's great that I can share that with others as well. Yeah. You know, and I, and I know they'll be inspired from the conversation. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thank you.